just haven't heard yet. They're all over the country and all over the world. Sometimes I think it's our Messiah syndrome and this narcissistic culture that makes us believe that the guy standing in front of us that may be on the radio or on the TV all of a sudden becomes the authority or the top honcho. That's not true. God and his word is the authority. We can all be replaced. And I'm praying that John will get replaced soon. <laughs> so I can be number one in Dr. Stead's heart. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, I, in spite of the request from Dr. Stead to preach on, is Saddam Hussein the Antichrist? Uh, I'm going to talk to you about something that's on my heart and has been all through this Persian Gulf crisis. And it really doesn't deal with the prophetic message as much as it deals with what I believe all of us re really need to understand about God's purpose for us in this world. I'm going to read out of John 20. If you have your swords, open it up. John 20, verse 19. My thanks to that choral group. That was outstanding. Being into heavy metal, I appreciated the last number. <laughs> but that was really great. I enjoyed that immensely. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. John 20, verse 19. And those of you who quickly focus in on God's word will recognize that this is a wonderful, wonderful event. The night of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Will you join me please in prayer? Father, I would ask in these special moments of fellowship together around your word, that you would cause us to see again what your purpose is for us in this world. A world that literally faces an uncertain future with very little confidence. A world that is in somewhat of panic and confusion. A world that is not really sure what it will take to bring peace. I pray God that you will help us to understand what it is you want of us and that we'll be committed to it with all of our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What Jesus said was, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. The whole passage is bathed in the mission that God has for every one of us. 
He wants us to be sent into this world. The passage concludes after the discussion about Thomas not being there and then eight days later finally seeing him. It wraps up and concludes itself with the fact that our mission is to let folks know who Jesus is. Our mission is to let folks know that by believing in his name, they can have everlasting life. Our mission is not to see us win the war with Iraq. Our mission is to care about Iraqis who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to reach the world for Jesus Christ. It's to take every last man, woman, boy, and girl to heaven with us as we possibly can. And in these moments together, I want you to focus on what the New Testament, primarily from our Lord himself, tells us is our mission. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. The English word comes from a Latin translation of the Greek word apostolos, one who is sent, or the verb apostello. Uh, said into Latin, it's misso. And said into English, it is missionary. Every single concept of our word missionary in English has been built on the Greek word apostello or apostolos. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, I also send you. His first words after his greeting, after his resurrection, when he said, peace be with you, the same day he arose from the dead, the very first words, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. Turn back to John chapter 17, please. John 17, and look at verse 18. It was a frequent issue with our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that great prayer to his heavenly father before he went to the cross, I read in verse 18, his prayer to the father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. It was on his heart when he prayed with his heavenly father. Jesus constantly referred to himself as the sent one, the one whom the father had sent. So if I'm going to understand what my mission is in life, to be sent into this world, then I better focus very strongly on what Jesus meant when he said, the Father sent me. Because as the Father sent me, so send I you. And I began to think of that in a much deeper and more significant way for my own heart than all the great missionary messages that I had heard on the subject. I can easily identify as you who are believers can that we need to get out there, and as God sent Jesus, so we should be sent. But I started asking some deeper and more profound questions. Exactly what did Jesus say was his mission? Exactly what was it that caused him to say, as the Father sent me? Turn back to chapter seven, please. He constantly referred to the fact that the Father had sent him. In chapter seven, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, as he cried out, teaching in the temple, you both know me and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you did, do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. I look in chapter 8, verse 42. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Jesus constantly referred to himself as the one who was sent by his heavenly father. He understood he was on a mission. He understood who sent him. And as we go into this world, we better understand who sent us and why. No one really makes an impact on the world who's going for other reasons. We go because of him who sent us. We go because he sent us into the world. Now, why did the father send his son into the world? And I'd like to spend a few moments with you about that question. Why did the heavenly father send his son Jesus into the world? Let's don't use our own conjecture. Let's look at the Bible. Let's find out exactly what the Bible says. And I wanna give you seven things that the Bible clearly says are the reason why the Father sent the Son into the world. And ask yourself, are these your purposes in life? Because Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. We better make them the same. 
turn please to John chapter 3 and let's walk through the argument. According to the Bible, the first reason that the Father sent his Son into the world is to save the world. This came to my attention rather innocently on a racquetball court as I was trying to share Jesus Christ and the guy turned to me and he said, what are you trying to do, save the world? You know, I thought about that. And I turned to him and I said, you know, I really am. I'm trying to save the world. How about you? It seems to be that today we have a put down of those who have grandiose plans on anything. I just want you to know, as the Father sent Jesus, so he has sent me into the world. And according to the Bible, his purpose was to save the world. And I begin to think of that in all of its full dimensions in John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I'm not trying to tell the world that they are lost and going to hell, but I am going to tell the world that they are lost and going to hell. My purpose is not to remind them that they are sinners, but I'm going to tell them that they are sinners and they need a savior. My purpose is not to show them their depravity, but God helping me, I'm going to prove to them that the Bible teaches all men are depraved and in need of redemption by a savior. My purpose is to save the world because Jesus sent me into the world as he was sent by his heavenly father. His father did not send him to condemn the world. Does Jesus in fact condemn all of those who refuse to believe in him? He says they're condemned already, verse 18, because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Why is the father sending you and me into the world? To save it, friends to save their souls from sin, death, and hell, that they might spend an eternity with us in, in heaven. I've begun to think of this over and over again. It began to get into my heart. I can't any longer be quiet about it as it relates to all peoples of the world. The field is the world, it always has been. There isn't any other thing, it's the world. Every last man, woman, and child, regardless of their skin color or their national origin, their ethnic backgrounds, regardless of the language they speak, the field is the world, and God caused, uh, caused Jesus to come into this world to save it, and I need that on my heart as well. Turn to chapter 5, please, and look at verse 24. You say, don't get all riled up. He's up. We're college students. That's why I am riled up. Verse 24, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death unto life. He sent me, Jesus said, so that whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. That's what he said. You know, I happen to be what you call a Calvinist. I never really knew I was one until they told me I was. But I believe that God is in charge, amen? Do you believe that? I happen to believe that it doesn't matter a whole lot uh, about what I think about how folks are saved. The Bible teaches us that God saves them. I happen to believe the Holy Spirit has to be involved here in order for true conversion to take place. And I happen to believe that God ordains the means as well as the end. And I happen to believe in the sovereignty of God and they were chosen before the foundation of the world. I happen to believe that men are predestined by God Almighty, acts that are in his mind and heart that have nothing to do with human performance. That before anyone is able to be born or to do anything good or evil, God has already made the decision. I happen to stand solidly in the sovereignty of God. If you disagree, you'll find out that I'm right when you get to heaven. Amen? And by the way, if you get there, it's because he decided you should go. You say, no, no, no. The reason I'm going is because I made the decision. You couldn't even have made the decision left to yourself. Man in his sinful state is dead in trespasses and sins and totally unable to respond to the grace and power of God. Were it not for God himself, it is God who works in you. Salvation is of God. We are born of God. We are not born of the human will of the flesh or of the will of some other man or because our parents are Christians. We're born of God. 
and I believe all of that in the sovereignty of Almighty God. But I want you to know that I can say without any hesitation to any man, woman, and child, whether I know they're elected or predestined by God or not, I can look at them and say, whoever believes in Jesus Christ will have everlasting life. I want you to have everlasting life. And if you will believe in Jesus Christ, you say, wait a minute, they can't even respond to your uh, uh, invitation unless the Holy Spirit works on them. I know that. I'm supposed to be responsible to proclaim the message. But it is accurate. It is biblical to say to anyone, no matter whether the elect or non-elect, whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Why were you sent into the world? Why are you here? Why were you chosen by God? Why were you one of his? The Bible teaches Jesus came into the world to save the world. And it's my prayer that'll get so much in your heart that no matter what occupation you're in, no matter what pursuit you have in life, the ultimate goal is to take lost people to heaven with us. I think about this every time I give an opportunity to anybody to receive Jesus Christ. Maybe it would be better at the moment we give an invitation, people receive Christ, we immediately take them to heaven so they will know that that is the reason for life itself. The opportunities are here so folks can go to heaven rather than hell. If you get your act together and you are the most successful person on this planet, but you go to hell, you have lost everything. What is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Understand the issues are heaven and hell and life and death. Not simply whether you're going to make it or be successful in what you do. We need to understand that. We came to save the world. But every time I give that illustration about should we have people receive the Lord, the moment we give an opportunity and then have them take, uh, take them immediately to heaven, it makes me wonder, because why would I be there giving the invitation? You have to think about that for a moment. If it's true that everybody was taken to heaven immediately, then obviously there wouldn't be anybody around to tell it. And this simple logic may be just too much for your brilliant college mind, but let me tell you something. The reason you are left here by God, in spite of all the wonderful blessings of ministering to believers, experiencing the love and encouragement of marriage and family, and having a career where you think you can do something for God, in spite of all of it, the reason you are left is to influence some other person to go to heaven and not hell. As my Father sent me, so send I you. He came to save the world. Look at chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. Verse 28, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus said, This is the work of God. What is the work of God in this world? That's a good question. People tell me all kinds of stuff. Jesus said that you believe in him whom he has sent. Whom he has what? Whom he has sent. What is the work of God for all of those that he sent into the world? Is that people will believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Number two, turn to John chapter 3 again, look at verse 34. Why did the Father send his Son into the world? One, to save the world. Number two, to speak the words of God. To speak the words of God. Why does God want you to go into the world? and be a mighty impact for him to speak the words of God and there never has been a generation where we need people who will speak the words of God in John 3 34 for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God for God does not give the spirit by measure what a tremendous statement what people need is the word of God turn to chapter 8 please and look at verse 26 Chapter 8, verse 26. Why did the Father send his Son into the world? One, to save the world, and two, to speak the words of God. I ask you, are you speaking the words of God? In John chapter 8, verse 26. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Why did the Father send Jesus into the world? To speak 
the words of God. Turn to chapter 12. The other day I was preaching, some time ago now, but I was preaching in the Midwest at a Bible conference and I was giving my usual number of verses and a farmer came up to me afterwards and he said, have you ever fed hogs? I said, no, sir, I never have. I grew up in the streets. I'm just a beach bum from California. I'm not really sure what you're talking about. I know they got a curly tail and I still don't know why, but he looked at me and said, well, I'll tell you something, city slicker. If you'd have fed hogs, you wouldn't preach like you do. I said, what in the world are you talking about? He said, well, out here in our farms, on our hog farms, we don't dump the whole load on them at once. And he was referring to all the passages. He was still trying to find the first one that I had mentioned in the message. And he hadn't gotten very far. But I want you to know that I consider it a compliment when anybody says, you know, all you got is just a Bible. Praise God. Praise God. I was on a news channel the other night about the Persian Gulf, and I brought my Bible. And the fellow said to me as I went to get on the interview, what are you going to do with that? I love it the way they're afraid of this book. By the way, somebody should clean this off. He's scared to death. I said, I'm going to open the Bible. He said, well, we don't want any of this Bible preaching. I said, then get yourself another guy. I started walking off. He said, wait, wait. I, we're going to go on the news here right away. We're, we're going to ask you about the Persian God. I said, well, the only thing I got is what's in the Bible. He said, don't you have anything of your own? I thought it was kind of cute the way he asked it. I turned to him and I said, hopefully for you, no. I want to speak the words of God. What about you? We're hearing enough from everybody else. It's almost like the talk shows, the main place where we get our theology. What is a talk show? It's a place where people who are incompetent pool their ignorance. <laughs> the reason why they don't have a lot of Bible teachers and preachers on talk shows is because they speak the words of God. On a CBS television up in the Northwest, they had a panel and asked me to be a part of it. They knew I was a guest preacher in town. So I went down and said, sure. The subject was the death penalty. Is it a deterrent to crime? I got there. There were three other guys there, all dressed in religious uniform. I brought my Bible. None of them had their Bible. I carry a big one, giant print, you know. Anyway. I brought my Bible and I threw it down on the table. There's a little table. We were all sitting around it. They put the little mics on us. There was a moderator. He looked down there. He said, what, what are you going to do with that? I said, this is basic clothes for the believer. I'm not dressed until I have my book with me. This is the Bible. I thought this was a religious discussion. He said, well, it is, but we're not necessarily into the Bible. See, folks, I've heard a lot of this baloney for years. I just want you to know that I'm not into any religious discussions either without the Bible. You say, well, is that all you know? Hopefully, yes. I want to stick with the Bible. Look, if you're going in for surgery and you've got a neurosurgeon going to work on your brain, I don't want to hear it the last minute before I go under the ether, you know, I majored in auto mechanics. <laughs> hey, I want to know that he's competent in his field. If there's one thing we ought to know as believers, it's the Bible. We ought to know it. The world needs the Bible. Anyway, back to the talk show. When he saw me in a Bible, I'll tell you, he did what they do to John MacArthur all over the country. They try to keep the microphone away from him. They did it to me, too. They talked to these other three people, and they were, I don't know where they were. They were off in funny land. I don't know where they were. They talked so erudite and academic about this issue, it just got me. And I, I don't know, I have a weird sense of humor. I started laughing. I, I knew it. I could not stop. I tried. I did everything. Here they're talking about all this is a death penalty, a deterrent to crime. I couldn't believe it. And the guy finally was so irritated. The moderator said, what are you laughing about? I said, well, it just caught me funny. I said, you know, it seems to me that the question is a dumb, dumb, dumb question. This whole thing is stupid. What do you mean it's a death penalty, a deterrent to crime? If you kill him, he can't do it again. God. Man. People are checking off their brains at the door to really get into the depth of the issue. It's a colossal waste of time.
People tell me, you know, you need to get into yourself. Why? The Bible says your heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It is I, the Lord, that searches the reins of the heart. Why would you want to find out anything about yourself? Well, I need to, you know, find out who I am. You won't like it when you find out. Don't spend another minute finding out who you are. Find out who God is and seek to win people to Christ. And your friends will be glad when you stop talking about yourself. Can I share with you how I feel? No! I don't want to know! God didn't call us to talk about all this junk. God called us to talk about his wonderful word. Find out who God is. It'll change your life. Start caring about people in this world who need to hear the word of God. Amos says there'll be a famine in the last days for the word of God. They'll be running everywhere to get somebody to tell them what the Bible's about. May God give you students a commitment, no matter what your occupation, to be a woman and a man of the word of God. As my father has sent me, so send I you into this world. Turn to John 17, just one more on that. In John 17, verse 8, in the high priestly prayer again of Christ, he mentioned it again. John 17, verse 8, for I have given to them the words. Watch it carefully, John 17, 8. I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. What is a missionary? He's one who is sent by God, not only to save the world, but to speak the words of God. Number three, turn to John four. John chapter four. Why did the father send the son into the world? Number three, to do the will of the father and finish his work. To do the will of the father and finish his work. John chapter four, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I want to ask every one of you, is what you eat on every day the will of God? My food, Jesus said, what sustains me, what keeps me going, is to do the will of him who sent me. You want to turn your world upside down? Then what you eat, what you sustain your heart on, is to do the will of your heavenly Father. I came to do the will. Look at verse 35. Do not say, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, at the fields. They're already white for harvest. Some believe, since it was at Samaria, at the well, some believe that it refers to those Samaritans coming in for a break from the fields. Many of you probably already know they wore white turbans. And Jesus could have been making a play on an issue. He used the harvest many, many times to get our eyes on people. He could have done it here too. Look on the fields, they're already white on the harvest. Here they come. He who reaps wages gathers fruit for eternal life and both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, you have entered into their labors. Why did you send your son into the world, dear father? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Look at chapter five, please, verse 30. Chapter five of John, verse 30. I can of myself, Jesus said, do nothing. You know, that fascinates me because we always think of what we can do. Jesus voluntarily, of his own will, laid aside the exercise of his divine attributes, humbled himself and became man, God in human flesh, and made this statement, I can of myself do nothing. And we see the exact contrast in the Christian world today, people thinking of all they can do. May God give us a heart like Jesus who is so committed to the will of God 
I don't have any other agenda. I don't have anything else, any other creative alternative. It's the will of God. I can do nothing of myself. I'm controlled now by God's will. That's it. Whatever he wants, that's what I want. No matter what, when, where, whatever. I can do nothing of myself, he said. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous. Now watch this. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. As my Father sent me, so send I you. What are you talking about, Jesus? I'm talking about doing the will of the Father. If we are going to be sent ones into this world, like Jesus said, we need to do the will of God. That needs to be our commitment. In the garden he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. It was on the heart of Jesus all the time. Look at verse 36. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Why did you come? To do his will and finish his work. That's why I came. Look at chapter 6, please. Verse 38. Chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. I came to do his will and finish his work. Look at chapter 17, please. Once again, that high priestly prayer of Christ, as he is pouring out his heart to his heavenly Father. In John 17, 4, he said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. One of the most colossal statements in the Bible is that which was shouted out by our Lord Jesus Christ at the moment of his dying on the cross when he declared, it is finished. I came to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. Number four, turn to John 8. Why did the Father send the Son into the world? One, to save the world. Two, to speak the words of God. Three, to do the will of the Father and finish his work. Number four, to bear witness. To bear witness. A theme constantly repeated, especially in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 8, verse 14. John 8, verse 14. The Pharisees had said in verse 13, well, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. What they're saying, basically, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is validated or established. And they're saying, all you're saying is, is what you're saying. I mean, you're telling us that because you said it, therefore we, we're supposed to believe it. Uh, your witness is not true. It's not reliable because it's just your witness. Watch how Jesus answers. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet he didn't need to, by the way. He already knew everything about everybody. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law, he anticipated their problem, that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. This is a very fascinating concept. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2, please, and let me show you something interesting. Hebrews chapter 2. Why did the Father send the Son in the world to bear witness? Jesus said, I not only bear witness, but my Father bears witness to me. How did the Father bear witness to Jesus? That is answered frequently in the Gospel of John by the miracles which Jesus did, because they in fact showed the credentials of his Messiahship. It showed that he was true. He was telling them the truth. In Hebrews chapter 2, we find this was necessary when the apostles were speaking audibly to crowds of people about things that were not in the Old Testament. How do we know that what they're saying is true and reliable? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, and it did, 
How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now watch the order. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Who heard him? Those apostles heard him. How was their message confirmed to us? How does it become reliable? How do we know it's the truth? Verse 4, God also, in addition to Jesus, bearing witness both with signs, wonders, and various miracles. We opened up with John 20. And in John 20, eight days after the resurrection, we read this, this capstone remark. Jesus did many other signs. But the ones that are written are to prove that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in believing you'd have life through his name. How do I know that the one-man testimony of Jesus is reliable since the law requires two or more? The answer is it was not just Jesus' words, but it was the miracles that the Father caused in his life, and therefore he was uh, confirming or he was authenticating the claim to Messiahship of Jesus by the Father working the miracles in Jesus' life. Uh, in the Old Testament, it tells us the Messiah will heal the lame and the blind and raise the dead. And Jesus literally did everything the Old Testament demanded of the Messiah. Those are the credentials of his Messiahship. And God the Father bore witness that this is my son. Then we hear Jesus saying, there's two witnesses, not only me, what I'm saying you, saying to you, but I know where I come from so my witness could stand alone. Why? Because he was God in human flesh. Where's the competition? But he said, even for your benefit, there is another witness, the Heavenly Father who shows through my works that I indeed am who I claim. Now to the apostles whom Jesus gave the message as my Father sent me, so send I you. How did their message, additional revelation from the Lord that's now in the New Testament, how did anybody know that was reliable? And the passage answers by miraculous signs just like Jesus. God also bearing witness both with signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. You ask me, well, do we need that today? It depends on your view about the Bible. If you believe the Bible is a complete and final revelation of God in written form, all final, all complete, everything God wants anybody to know, even about the future, is in this book, then absolutely not. We don't need a single sign, wonder, or miracle. We already have the witness right here in the Word of God. If you think the Bible is not complete and you need additional information from other Christians to live your life, then I would ask them to prove it to you by miraculous signs. People say, well, that's what's actually happening. A lot of folks say that there are miraculous signs in their life to prove what they say. Hey, all we have to do is do a deep study, investigation, and interrogation of every sign. Because, my dear friends, the signs that confirm the spoken message of God's servants are not something you have to worry about as to whether it happened or not. They are not something you have to worry whether it's psychosomatic or really physical. God Almighty will confirm it, the Bible says, with miraculous signs and wonders just like Jesus. Why could the apostles do what they did in the New Testament? It's incredible what they did. Why could they do it? As my Father has sent me, so send I you. Therefore, we have to decide whether the message is complete. And if I'm going to bear witness for my Lord, I'm going to have to decide what message is it. Is it an additional revelation he's going to give me that will be confirmed by miraculous signs, just like Jesus did, just like the apostles did? Or am I to bear the witness of what has already been placed within the pages of the Bible? That's the issue. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. What time's this deal in? What? 11.30? Yeah. I thought you told me one. Revelation 22. We've got to move. Verse 18. Here's what it says. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. 
If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Hang on, everybody. You probably heard it a dozen times before, but listen to me carefully. Maybe it'll be a different approach for you. I was debating this subject with somebody who believes in continuing revelation. That is, they believe that God still speaks. And there are many evangelicals who believe that. They tell me that God visited them last night. Jesus sat in their bed and told them all kinds of stuff. First of all, I don't think Jesus is leaving the right hand of the throne of God until he comes back to this earth. He's up there interceding for us. He doesn't make personal visits to you. But I can understand why you want to believe that because it would give you a certain feeling of importance and of spiritual power. Sometimes people say, God spoke to me last night to give a message to you. Boy, what power is in that? Who wouldn't want to say, please tell me, I wait with abated breath. Look, folks, what I say to everybody who tells me that, look, you either ate too much chili or you're going to have to show me what verse. God spoke to me. What verse? See, I've already cleared that up in my mind and heart. Even though you disagree, I'm happier than you are. Stop and think about it. People live with a certain insecurity and instability, waiting for the next person to come along. Usually some preacher who loosens his tie, sweats a little bit, never looks at his Bible and runs across the stage and tells us about how God spoke to him. I've already settled it, folks. It's in this book. And if it isn't in this book, you may think it's right, and I may think that you think it's right, but that doesn't make it right. And people say, but I really believe this with all my heart. So what? Pound the pulpit a little, maybe they'll believe it. Cry a little, speak louder. I got two basic volumes, loud and louder. You know, use it all. Maybe they'll believe you. Hey, this is nonsense. Don't check your brains off of the door. This is nonsense. I could say Buddha. I believe in him with all my heart. Are you impressed? Come on. The facts. We need the facts from the word of God. I'm gonna bear witness in this world to what? to what is already in the Bible. You say, how do you know that for sure? The Mormons say that's not correct. How do I know? Turn to 1 John 5, you've got to go quick. Don't just stand there looking at me, turn your Bible, quick. 1 John 5, we haven't got much time. 1 John 5, I'll tell you what, why don't we just quick, we'll give it to you later. No, no, gotta go. 1 John 5, here we go. Watch this carefully. This is one of those passages that has a lot of controversy about it. So I really like it on that basis alone. <laughs> Verse 6 says, and I'm reading out of a King James text, New King James. says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. Now watch this. What are we saying is your purpose in the world? To bear witness. It is the Spirit who bears witness. There it is. Because the Spirit is true, bears witness to what? To the fact that Jesus came by water and blood. Verse 7, for there are three who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. If you have New American, New International, repent. Seriously, those are good translations in and of themselves, but they are very troublesome in this passage. And I hold the King James text is the correct one in this text. That doesn't make it right, of course. There are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree as one. Now watch this argument. You'll have your answer to why God's sending you in the world to bear witness. If we receive the witness of men, which we all do, the, you know, nine out of ten doctors said that, it must be right. The witness of God is greater, amen. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. What are we talking about here? That he came by water and blood. People forget the context. Verse 10, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed the testimony that God has given us of his Son. What about his Son? That he came by blood and water. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now watch carefully. This text says that the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truthfulness about Jesus dying on the cross, basically the blood and water proof of his death. 
I want to ask you, where is it recorded in the Bible that Jesus, when they stuck it in his side, out came the blood and water? It's in John 19. Who wrote John, the Gospel of John? Anyone? John, you must be college students. John wrote the Gospel of John. Who wrote 1 John? John. Now all of a sudden it clears up. Because you see, in John 19, there is one there who is witnessing the event. And he says the Spirit bears witness that Jesus came by blood and water. Well, how did he do that? By being in the Gospel of John. And what he's writing now in 1 John, a few years later, is the confirmation of what was in the Gospel of John. Listen to me carefully. You don't need any additional revelation from God when you bear witness to this world. You're bearing witness to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit only bears witness with the Bible. If you choose to go outside of the Bible, you just cut off the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Back to, I may be more excited than you are, I understand. Back to John 9, real quick. Number five. Why did the Father send his Son? One, to save the world. Two, to speak the words of God. Three, to do the will of the Father and finish his work. Four, to bear witness. Number five, to do the works of the Father. To do the works of the Father. Very closely related to something we just shared. In John 9, 3 and 4, Jesus said about the man born blind. The disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As my father sent me, so send I you. Why did you send your son into the world, heavenly father? To do my works. Jesus said very clearly, I must work the works of him who sent me. Turn to chapter 11, please, and look at verse 41. This is dealing with the resurrection of Lazarus. In chapter 11, verse 41, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And boy, it's a good thing he mentioned his name. Otherwise, everybody would come out of grace. He who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. You see, you have an illustration in chapter 11 of what he said in chapter 9. He also demonstrated it in chapter 9 by healing the man who was born blind. Why did the Father send the Son into the world? To do the works of the Father. Why is the Lord sending you into the world? To proclaim the works of the Father. You know, I have found in witnessing, especially to people in other religions who don't have a Christian consensus, that one of the things that fascinates them more than anything else is the miracles of Jesus Christ. I have often read to a person of a non-Christian religion a passage, I just did it recently with an Islamic person, a passage dealing with the miracle of Jesus Christ. And they are really fascinated. They said, did you read that correct? Here, read it for yourself. The question is, did he do that? Did Jesus Christ raise Lazarus from the dead? I like what one Islamic guy told me. He said, you know, really, if, if the message in the New Testament is true about Jesus, and we believe he's one of the prophets, but he said, if that's really true, then he is more than we have ever been taught. What? You can drive a train through that. He is more than what we ever, ever thought. What is our purpose in this world? To tell them what the Father did through Jesus Christ, the works of Jesus Christ. The Bible said, these are written that you may believe that he is the Messiah, and in believing you'll have life through his name. People need to hear that he's not mere man. He's not simply a good prophet and teacher. He is a miracle worker. 
He healed all who came to him, the Bible says. He could heal the lame and the blind with a simple touch of word. And he raised people from the dead. Who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we need to proclaim him. Number six, why did the Father send Jesus to give eternal life? Look at John 17, 1 to 3. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Why did he come? To give eternal life. In chapter 10 of John, verse 28, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I said that recently at a radio rally, and a guy told me, he said, well, maybe you could jump out of his hand. Dumb, 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 the universe is in his hand. You might move to knuckle to knuckle, but you're not getting out. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. What am I trying to do in this world? I'm trying to tell people that by faith in Jesus Christ, they can live forever in a wonderful place that God has described in the word that is more beautiful than anything earthly descriptions could possibly imagine. I'm telling them that it's real. I want them to have eternal life. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. That's eternal life in John 10. One last thing. Look at John 17, please, verse 23. Why did the Father send his Son to save the world, to speak the words of God, to do the will of the Father and finish his work, to bear witness, to do the works of the Father, to give eternal life? John 17, 23. Jesus said, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And on this point, I send you back to the coal mines. Here it is. The Father sent the Son to tell the world about his love for them. I, you know, I sat down one day and was overwhelmed with the simplicity of that. The simplicity of that. I, as the Father sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. I want to go into a world and tell lost people, no matter how messed up they are, whether they come out of drug and alcohol addiction, or whether they're broken home, I don't care what they are. I'm there to tell them of the Father's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to look people straight in the eye with their messed up lives and say, God loves you. And I ask you, why are you going into the world? Is it in your heart to tell people that God loves them? I find person after person, no matter how macho and rebellious and hostile they are, I find them desperately in need of somebody who will love them. Will that be you? Or will you go out with a chip on your shoulder and pride and arrogance, thinking about all your great preparation? Or will you go with a humble, broken heart as a servant of the Lord to love people and to tell them that God, the Heavenly Father, loves you? As my Father has sent me, so send I you. It's 1130. Let's pray.